welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Good morning. It's really good to be with you this morning. Thanks for having me. My name's Brian and it's a real pleasure to be able to be part of your series talking about the challenges of Jesus. I don't know about you, but there are more than the challenges of Jesus going around right now. I feel there are challenges coming at me from all sorts of different angles, but I'm really uh, happy to be talking about this this morning, about how the, the, the words and the actions of Jesus challenge us to live as Christians in today's world. Uh, you know, and one of the things that we're really feeling prophetically is that God is calling us at this time to be more bold in our sharing of our faith, to proclaim the good news news of the gospel, claim the good news of Jesus. And, you know, with this kind of all the disruption that's happened in the last year, we are wondering whether the field has been ploughed and is ready for the word of God to be sown into it, whether out there in the midst of the turmoil, people are increasingly ready to receive the good news of the gospel, that we would be the people who overflowed with hope and carried that hope at a time of hopelessness to the world around us. So I'm kind of speaking into that. I know that very soon we're going to be doing our Alpha course. There's going to be an Alpha course. And this is an Alpha Sunday. This is encourage us to invite people to Alpha. Uh, but really, this isn't just about us and a program. This is about us and our relationship to Jesus and our response to him. So as we prepare for the Alpha course, which is starting next week, let's also be prepared in our hearts to allow Christ's words to minister to us so that we could live more fully and more truly as disciples of him. So I want us to look today at Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 20. I'm just going to read it to you from the English Standard Version. Uh, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Or the NIV says this, come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now, I think it's really important when we're looking at these kind of verses to understand the context in which they were written. So Matthew, uh, Matthew's the first gospel in the New Testament. It's the first of the four gospels that we have. It was probably written in about AD 85. There's a bit of a disagreement. Was Mark written first or was Matthew written first? Most of the time people are saying it was Mark that was written first and Matthew borrowed from Mark. Although there are others who say that Mark borrowed from Matthew. I don't think that's completely relevant right now. But what we do know is that Matthew was one of the first gospels that we received. Matthew was part of a Jewish Christian community that had moved to outside of Jerusalem, probably to to Syria, which isn't that far. And we can't uh, use our own uh, reading of history now as to what that area looks like right now. Then it was a much more safe and easy thing to do for for people to move from Jerusalem to uh, a certain town in Syria. And... uh, He was the leader of a Jewish 
congregation that was predominantly based in a Gentile environment. And so the gospel that we have that Matthew wrote was primarily a missionary text. It was about how do we live as the people of the cross, as the people of the way, as disciples of Jesus amongst those around us who don't yet know him. There's a guy called Bosch and he says this about Matthew. It was primarily because of his missionary vision that Matthew set out to write his gospel, not to compose a life of Jesus, but to provide guidance to a community in crisis on how it should understand its calling and mission. So he's here to provide guidance to a community that's in crisis and, and giving them a chance to understand their calling and mission. That's what Matthew in its entirety really is about. They call it a gospel for the church. Uh, a lot of commentators say it would be a great gospel for church leaders to read and to use as a, a template for helping people to live and to act in a godly manner. In fact, the church that was based in Syria was just about to face a, uh, they call it the 12th benediction. The, far, the Pharisees were growing in their power within the Jewish synagogue and up until that point, the Christian faith had just been another part of the Jewish synagogue and they were about to be expelled from that and there was a, the 12th benediction that the Nazarenes and the heretics be destroyed in a moment that the names be expurgated from the book of life so there was this uh, sense that the church were in this kind of who are we? we we thought we were Jews we thought we were that everything shifting around us we were in Jerusalem but we've had to leave Jerusalem we were a part of the Jewish community but we're having to step outside of that who are we these times are uncertain the future is shaky I don't quite know what's happening Matthew you write into that context, a context I would like to pose that is not too dissimilar to the one that we are in today. Who are we? What are we going through? All that we used to hold on to is a little bit shaken. Yes, we're hoping that one day it will all get back to normal, but there's others of us that think it will never get back to normal. We're living in a sense of a time of conflict and a time of upheaval, second to none. In my generation, I've never experienced anything like this. And so the church is aware of growing crisis and it is into that that Matthew writes. In fact, Matthew is called, as I said earlier, the gospel of the church. He is, it is actually only in Matthew that the word church is mentioned, I think in Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. So this isn't just a simple biopic of Jesus. Matthew is a blueprint for discipleship. So when Jesus says to his disciples, come follow me, at that point they weren't disciples by the way, they were just fishermen. When he says to these fishermen, come follow me, he is saying, come and be disciples. Disciples comes from this Greek word, mephites, and it means one who follows after. In the gospel actually, in, in all four of the gospels, it doesn't mention Christians once. The only reference we have to the word used for Christians is disciple. So, and in Matthew, 73 times it says disciples. So the, the, when we became Christians, we became disciples. We became ones who follow. Come follow me. Mephites means follow me. So get behind me. Fall in step with me. That's what Jesus was saying. The rabbis of that day, they had followers, people who followed them, and they were known as disciples. They followed their ways. They, they you know, said that some of them even started to walk 
physically like their rabbis. Some of them would even eat like their rabbis. You know, they'd, they'd mimic their rabbi. And so Jesus is, is following this great rabbinic tradition and calling two fishermen, not your average candidates for discipleship, and saying, come, follow me. And so they look and they follow him. A discipleship means following after. So I, when I became a Christian, in 1990, I embarked on a journey of discipleship that is taking place still until this day. That we are all disciples. The minute we stop saying that we are disciples, the minute we stop thinking, I've, I've got, I haven't got anything else to learn, pride has crept in. And we are on a tricky and dodgy road there. So we're called to be discipleship. Great book. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. The Cost of Following Jesus. And so we are discipleships. This call to discipleship was a call like no other. And as Pete so eloquently put it last week, it was a call to come and be with me. Come and be with me. Come follow me. Come and be with me. And today, I think Jesus still invites us to come and be with him, to come and follow him, to come and get in step with him. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to walk through this world like I'm following Jesus. I want to be in step with him. So who is called to be a disciple? Well, these guys were fishermen. So they weren't rich, they weren't poor, they were just hardworking individuals. Now we read a lot about fishermen in the Gospels, and you could be forgiven for thinking that the, you know, from our own understanding that the, the whole, that whole area was ripe with fishermen. There were a lot of fishermen around at that time, but Jewish Israeli background was more farming and craftsmen. The fishermen were kind of like, uh, uh, rare. There weren't, there weren't as many of them as we think. It's just the ones that we, we know about are in the Bible. So it was farmers and craftsmen normally. So Jesus comes to these guys who are fishermen. He found them where they were. He addressed them in a manner they could understand to complete a task that only he could. So he found them where they were. He comes to us and he finds us where we are. Jesus comes to you this morning where you are. He comes to you and he finds you and he speaks to you in a language that you understand. He speaks to the fishermen in a language that they understand. Jesus wants to communicate with us as his disciples. He wants to meet with us where we are. He wants to communicate with us in a language that we understand. But inevitably, he wants to give us a calling to do something that only he can complete. He says, I will make you, I will make you fishers of men. I will send you out to fish for people. It's his, as we follow him, he does something in us that propels us out. So he meets these disciples, where these fishermen, sorry, I keep mixing it up because they eventually became disciples. He meets these fishermen where they are. And so the call to discipleship, is really the essence of our faith. We cannot just at this time be mere attenders. We, we can't physically, but I think the physical is actually a spiritual reality that we can't physically attend. Maybe we can if, if you know, there's all sorts of little things you can do with governmental guidelines and rules right now. But the reality is for most of us, we can't be attenders. But I don't think we were ever meant to be attenders in one sense. 
I am 100% believe that we are meant to gather together as church. I miss sung worship. I miss teaching. I miss the fellowship and the gathering of us all in one room. And this is so much harder in my living room than it would be if I was in a room with all of you. But we aren't called to be attenders. We're called to be disciples. And it's at this time, I think, where our discipleship will really be molded shaped, chipped away in us. Something's changing in each one of us as Christians during this time. Something's changing in me. I am more than an attender. I'm a disciple. I'm really impressed recently. I've been looking at a lot of stuff that Mark Sayer and Red Church in Melbourne have been doing. And one of the things that he has been teaching his church on is being a resilient disciple resilient disciple and I guess if there's anything that I would take from this current crisis is that I grow in my resilience that I come back as a stronger disciple that I come back healthier that I look into some of the stuff that that can cause me to be weak and then I learn to follow him Uh, some practical ideas for that how do we follow Jesus I spend the first hour of the morning with him. I read my Bible, actually right over in that corner, over my shoulder. I sit down, I read my Bible, I pray. I spend some time with Jesus, I journal. I allow him to speak to me, I speak to him. Sometimes it's boring, I mean that literally. Sometimes it's just read the Bible, write the journal. Sometimes I feel his presence is electrifying in the room. Sometimes I I get some deep stuff. Sometimes I'm convicted of my sins. Sometimes he just makes me chuckle when I think about the adventures I've been on with my family and my friends. But there's a whole load of different things that happen, but I spend some time with him every morning. And you know when that goes wrong? Actually, last week it went wrong. Uh, beginning of the lockdown. I I woke up, first thing I did, I looked at the news on my iPad. Then I looked at the news on my phone. Then I checked that Facebook to see if my friends in America, what they were thinking and see what other people were happening to my friend in South Africa. And before, and then I sat down and uh, it was half past eight and I need to start work at nine. And I rushed my Bible time and I, I felt rush. Same happened the next day and the next day. Three mornings like this, stressing, looking, reading, watching. You know, I couldn't change a thing, but I'm stressing, I'm looking, I'm watching, I'm reading. And then I remembered that I'd committed to spending the first hour of my day with him to be a follower of Jesus. Come, follow me. And at the beginning of the day, I dedicate my life to following him. And my encouragement to each one of us is that we would be followers of Jesus and that we would spend that time with him in the morning or in the evening or in the car or in the shower or there's so many challenges right now. I, I have no children. Well, I have two children, but I, they're not around. They're not small. They don't demand my attention. They don't demand my feeding. They don't they, they demand very little apart from some finances, which is like well, you, if you've got older kids, you know what that's all about. However, if you've got small children and you're on lockdown, I would imagine getting that quiet time, that time alone with Jesus is really, really difficult. And there's a beautiful, uh, there's a beautiful poem that Pete actually sent me years ago, but there's a beautiful line and it says, be excessively gentle with yourself. So be kind and be gentle with yourself at this time. You may not be able to follow the rhythms that you used to be able to, but as we commit to being followers of Jesus, we need to somehow look to, what do we go to first? Where do we go to first? 
What am I running to first in the morning? Do I run to Facebook? Do I run to the news? Do I run to Sky? Do I run, you know, and none of those in themselves are wrong. But if I want to be a follower of Jesus, I want to run to him. First thing, last thing, middle of the day, whenever I can, run to him. And then it says, he says, I will send you out to fish for people. I will send you out to fish for people. You know, there are three kinds of fishermen. There are rod fishermen from the edge, the guys with just a single line fishing. You know, we've all seen those guys. There's the net fishermen from the edge. Now the net, the edge, the net guys uh, were, (laughs) they did it from the edge, but they could also do it on a boat. And then there was the drag net guys that would sometimes take two boats and they would, they would, you know, they'd they'd have a net between them and they would drag them. So uh, they would say that the disciples were, probably most definitely net fishermen, but also dragnet fishermen. So they would, you know, cast from the side, but they would also cast from the boat. So these disciples were seasoned fishermen. They were used to taking a big net out and dragging it in. They they weren't just on the edge. And it's quite fascinating, I found this, that the, the the Jewish people used to refer to the the, the lake, which is really a lake, but they called it the Sea of Galilee, as the great abyss, the great darkness. And these guys went out and caught fish in the middle of the great darkness. They took their boats out into the great abyss and they fished for fish. <laughs> they went and they looked and they caught fish in the great abyss, in the great darkness. And Jesus comes to them and he says, Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. And I just wonder whether there was something of the sense of these guys knew how to fish in the great abyss. Therefore, he was going to call them to fish for people. And right now, I believe that we are in a great darkness. Great darkness. And it's at this time that Jesus says, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. So how do we fish for people? Well, William Barclay talks about six different ways that we can fish for people. I'm just gonna look at three of those very briefly. One, we need to be patient. To catch fish, you must be patient or it would be called catching. We have to know when the time is right. We have to have an eye for the right moment. In many ways, we need to remain hidden. If they see you moving, weirdly, if fish see you moving, it can freak them out. You know, and so it's kind of like we almost, you know, we just have to be super patient. And I believe that for many of us, we've been patiently waiting to fish. We've been wait, patiently waiting for family members to come and know Jesus. We've been patiently waiting for others to come and hear the good news. And we... need to continue being patient. And then the second thing that we really need to do is we need to persevere. Perseverance is different to patience. I always kind of thought they were the same, but perseverance really is, it's more than patience. Perseverance is the sense of not being discouraged when it doesn't work out like we thought it would. I don't know about you, if you've ever invited someone along to an alpha course or anything and they said, yeah, I'll come and you've been waiting expectantly and they haven't come. It's discouraging. It can put us off. It can make us feel undervalued, but we need to persevere. I think it was Muhammad Ali who said, the boxer who wins the most 
uh, fights is the one who keeps getting up every time he is knocked down. Uh, it was Confucius who said our greatest glory is not in never failing, but in rising every time we fall. That's perseverance. Keep getting up. Keep going. So what I, an encouragement this time is if you've asked someone to an alpha course before, do it again. Do it again. Persevere. Do it again. If you've invited someone for coffee or you've invited someone to socially distance walk and they've said, no, do it again. Persevere. Do it again. Show them that you're serious. Keep doing it. Keep persevering. And finally, we must have courage. They traveled out into the abyss. This must have been scary. <laughs> In fact, one Greek prayer, like an ancient Greek prayer was this. My boat is so small and the sea is so large. I don't know about you, but sometimes I find and feel that my boat is so small and the sea is so large that I can get freaked out. There are so many people who don't yet know Jesus. There are so many people who have not yet begun their journey of discipleship. My boat feels very small and the sea feels very large. And it's at that point we need courage. There is risk on the sea. There is danger. And for each one of us, there is danger when we invite someone along to something. There is danger when we share our faith. But it's kind of like minimal. The danger is this, that we get rejected. When we, I've often shared my faith. And one of the things that I often have to remind myself is, Brian, you need to get over yourself. It's me most of the time that stops me from sharing my faith. And the, the reality is no one can rob you of your story. People can laugh at you. People can say, oh, that's not right. And this isn't right. But it's your story. And your story is your story. And you can tell your story clearly and loudly to anybody you want because it's your story. You own it. Your story of faith. Your story of discipleship. Your story of your journey with Jesus. And sometimes we just have to get over ourselves in order to share our story. But also over ourselves to share an invite. This discipleship journey that I've been on with Jesus for these last 30 years has been absolutely wonderful. I, I want to invite other people to be part of that same journey in order that they can get to know him. They can become followers. They can accept that invitation. Come, follow me. Courage. Have courage. Come, follow me. As we respond to the invitation of Jesus to be his disciples, we also respond to his invitation to make us fishers of people. My prayer for Emmaus is this, that you are increasingly filled with courage, that you may share the good news of Jesus Christ and that you may fish for people in multiple lakes, in multiple rivers, in multiple streams, that you would fish for people outside the school gate, that you would fish for people in Zoom calls, that you would fish for people on work dues, that you would fish for people just randomly when you're out walking the dog, that you would fish for people that you just bump into and stay two meters apart from, but that you would fish. And I see that coming upon us, this new courage to fish for people, what have we got to lose? We're followers of Jesus. The call is that we follow him and we reach out to those around us who don't yet know him. I'm going to pray. Father, today we respond to your invitation. Jesus, we respond to your invitation to come and follow you. And we say yes to you. We say yes to being your disciple. We also say yes to you in making us the people who fish for people.
Lord, may this be a season of increased courage in each one of us in order that we can reach out to more and more people in your name. Amen.